0: Alright, a few weeks ago, I uh, mentioned that there was a series I was going to begin uh, related to our struggle with secularism. So today I want to do the introduction to that. Um, my, the danger here is for me to uh, get academic ADD and try to bring everything I know into the introduction, which then overwhelms everybody. I'm going to try not to do that. Um... But I'd like you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. Uh, This was the passage we were looking at when I mentioned this. 1 John chapter 4, uh, 1 to 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He who is in you than He who is in the world. They are of, they are from the world, therefore they speak. As from the world, and the world listens to them, we are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is uh, who is not from God does not listen to us. by this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, the voice of god 's people did not make any sense to the pagan world. The pagans saw the world differently and could not fully understand. Uh, Jews and subsequently God-fearing Gentiles uh, who later became called Christians. So the struggle of the early uh, community of faith was against paganism. That was over a period of time, one, as Christianity became the primary influence in the Greco-Roman world. So as a result, we actually don't address paganism today. When I was a Youth for Christ director, we would talk to people about, how many pagan friends do you have? Uh, and they would say, oh, I have four pagan friends. I'm trying to reach them with the gospel. Uh, so we we're we we're using this kind of biblical wording, but not in a, any real context. Uh, paganism, for the most part, uh, doesn't exist uh, in the world that we address today. The world that we uh, address is a secular world. And the secular world is... Uh, Part of the transition that came from the Middle Ages as we moved into modernity. And I think this is really important. I want to do a series on it because if we don't teach this and make this something that our children are aware of, we are going to lose the next generation as they assimilate into secularism, assuming that there is no threat there. As long as we stay away from paganism, as long as we stay away from other religions, we'll, we'll be okay because secularism, after all, so what's, you know, what's the difference between a Christian or a Jew or an atheist uh, when it comes to plumbing? Right? They're all the same. So, uh, this, this addresses a fa- uh, an issue of the faith that you and I hold because the faith that you and I hold is a form of Judaism. It's a faith in the God of Israel and it connects us to the Israel of God, the Jewish people. It calls us as Gentiles, members of the nations, and it saves us as members of those nations. In other words, it saves us as Gentiles. But it unites us. In the Messiah with the remnant of Israel, those believing Jews uh, whom God has, has reserved for himself, in anticipation of the restoration of the kingdom to Israel, when the Messiah will reign on the earth from Jerusalem and will rule the nations with a rod of iron, because the nations of this world will have become the nations of our God and his Messiah. Now those who held this faith, uh, among the first believers, particularly after Yeshua came, uh, began to be separated uh, from each other in the first through the fifth centuries. During that time, there was a struggle within Israel regarding the claims of Yeshua and the Messianic, I'll use that term for those early believers uh, in Jesus uh, among Jews, those original believers were isolated, and persecuted, and struggled by a rejection from within Israel. There was also a similar rejection of them in the growing Gentile communities of the church, but the the Gentiles saw themselves, these Christians saw themselves as primarily fighting pagans with uh, Israel somewhat as a gadfly in the midst of that. I don't have time to address all of that. Uh, that would be that academic ADD and I'm not going to do that. I want it, So I'm going to oversimplify this and basically say the primary struggle was against uh, paganism. And the reason for that was the Greco-Roman worldview was pagan. And the early believers uh, held to the biblical worldview that ultimately became the Judeo-Christian worldview in this struggle. Now, we've talked about this before. I've got to do a little review. I'm going to do it as quick and as painless as I can. The historic worldviews was this Greco-Roman world and this world of Israel that would be the Judeo-Christian one. I'm going to use that term. Greco-Roman, pagan, Judeo-Christian. Now... This worldview is carried in certain structures. It's carried by a peoplehood. Over here, the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the children of Israel, the, what, what we call the Jewish people. Over here, the ancient Greeks and Romans and other peoples that they assimilated into there. Over here, we had the carrier of this worldview, which was not only the people, but their language, which was Hebrew. And even though many of them spoke Greek and Latin, they thought in Hebraic categories. Over here, the people spoke Greek and Latin, but when they spoke Latin, they thought in Greek categories. So, again, a very different context for that worldview. On this side, they had a common history, the history that goes from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Joseph, into uh, into Egypt, then the deliverance by Charlton Heston as they came out, wandered in the wilderness, entered into the land, established the judges and the kingdom that was there, and then they would be Removed in part into Diaspora. A remnant comes back. Uh, That's the time of Yeshua. And then when he's done with his emissaries, they're scattered throughout the world. You remember that? These guys have their own story. It's the story of the heroes and the greats. The gods and the heroes. And it's found in the Iliad and the Odyssey. And their whole view of the way God operates. On this side, you have an environment which is the land promised to Israel. Over here, you have the Mediterranean world that's trying to conquer the rest of the world from Athens and from Rome. Those are very different worldviews. And what begins to happen is epistemologies are developed that are very different. The epistemology over here is whatever is happening is the gods trying to tell us something. So let's figure it out. And let's get them off our back. Okay? So it's an idea of you interpret what's going on in your life. It tells you whether you're being blessed or being cursed. And then you try to work it out with the gods. Over here... The scriptures are the revelation of God... As a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. You do not interpret the circumstances to find out what God wants... You know what God wants, and you address yourself with the circumstances as they are. Very different epistemologies. In the first through the fifth century, as the faith began to be usurped in some way by the Christian world, those two epistemologies got put together. So that now, the Bible can guide you, and the circumstances can tell you. How do I know... Which one tells me the truth? The bishop will tell you. So now we centralize religion in that mid- middle ages. And what you do is you go to the bishop and he'll tell you whether you need a verse or whether you need to interpret circumstances. Because those epistemologies have been put together. And we lose Hebrew And we lose the Jewish people, and we lose the sense of the promised land, and we lose the historical story of God found in the scriptures. And so the biblical worldview gets replaced with this traditional religious worldview of the Middle Ages that ultimately begins to deteriorate because of corruption and illiteracy. And we go into the Dark Ages. Then we have the Black Death. I'm not going to go into all it. We have the Black Death, we have the Renaissance, we have the Reformation, and we have the Enlightenment, and it moves us into the modern world. Okay. The modern world is not going to revive paganism. It's going to take whatever it had in paganism and turn it into art. What it's going to now do is it's going to have a new thought, and that thought is secularism. And so the modern world has three worldviews. The primary driving one is the secular worldview. The secular worldview doesn't need the God of Abraham. What it needs is objective science and reason, whatever that means. And it can then begin to reform the world the way it needs to. It's very humanistic. And it's secular, non-religious. the w- The church world couldn't figure out what to do with that, and got into a battle. And the result of the battle of the fundamentalist modernist debates in the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, split the church into two worldviews: conservative theology, which says we will accept whatever is secular that doesn't conflict with the scriptures as we understand them. Okay? And the liberal religious worldview that says, we will accept everything that science affirms and keep what's left of this. Now, that really happened in the church, but to some extent, you'll see the same struggle in Judaism. A more conservative theological approach that says we're keeping the word of God and we'll accept whatever the secular world has that's not in conflict and the more liberal Jewish world that says we're going to take the the scientific thing and we'll keep this around because we've got to keep our identity. But a whole lot of people have jumped into this secular world that says we don't really need God. And secularism is the battle that you and I are are going to have to battle in, in the future with our children. So, at the heart of secularism is an assumption. That assumption is that God is either not involved or not necessary. One's a subtle version of the other. Uh, Not involved means he may be there, but so what? Not necessary is he's either not there at all, or there's an area that's independent of his domain. And that secularism is part of what we have to uh, struggle with. There's a tendency among religious people to think that we have a biblical worldview if we quote Bible verses. So I want to remind you of the Biblical worldview. The Biblical worldview is not found in the text. The text was written from the Biblical worldview. And that it's carried in the Jewish people. It's carried in the Hebrew language. It's carried in the, uh, the historical narrative of Israel. That's why Israel has to be seen as part of special revelation. The church tends to think only the scriptures and Jesus are special revelation. But Israel is a light to the nations. They are special revelation. It's the only culture, the only people, the only nation created by God. He scattered us to become who we are. But he created them and set their culture up. In Judaism, in the in the covenants, to be a revelation, and the text is part of that. But it's not. You can't separate the text from that context and still understand the revelation. So what we've done is we're saying, well, we're getting rid of the cultural issue, but we're really not. We're substituting it with a secular approach, and you'll see that in a lot of uh, modern scholarship. So. The biblical worldview does not think in terms of secular and sacred. We do. When I grew up, there was sacred music and secular music, okay? If people went to church, they played sacred music. And then they would... The rest of the time we would listen to the radio, we would listen to secular music, okay? Now, there were people that said, we don't like that secular music. That's devil music. I thought they were nuts, okay? Because I had come out of that music, right? So I was comfortable with it. They were uncomfortable with it. It was about feelings. It was about thinking through the categories. So we have in our minds this idea of secular and sacred. And we have compartmentalized that to the point where people are religious when they're in a religious context. And when they're in a non-religious context, they just act like everybody else. That's the threat. That's the danger. Okay, I'm going to unpack that over the next several weeks, but I just want to get you a taste for it so that you either get angry or curious, and then you'll pay attention, right? So, in the series, I'm not going to argue against the notion, I'm, I'm going to argue against the notion of secular as a biblical concept. The Bible doesn't see holy versus secular, It sees holy versus common and God is not uninvolved in the common. It sees clean and unclean and God is not not involved in the unclean. These categories that are biblical are what we should be thinking in, what we should be teaching our children. We'll never teach our children if we don't think in those categories. So it's really important that we think through this. So... I'm going to give... We also... Good and evil. We think in terms of mental health. That's a cultural, secular alternative... To the idea of good and evil. To think morally in that sense. So, we have to talk about those categories. We will down the road. Secondly... uh, Well, related to that... We want to be careful of false dichotomies... That we create by this compartmentalization. So, for example... Are children a result of sexual intercourse or a direct gift from God? That's a false dichotomy. But if you start thinking about, well, they're a direct gift from God, so that conception happened because God uh, made that conception happen, so then there's no need to think about any other implications of my behavior. No. No. That's not a biblical worldview. That's a dichotomization of that. And then people on the other side go, well, it's just medicine. It's just biology. It just happens the way biology is. And we now have control over biology. So we'll control biology. But that ignores that there is a God of the universe who created the biology and gave us guidelines for how to operate within those biological frameworks. This is one of the problems I have, as you know, with this constant struggle with my saying that people should get married younger. And people say, it's just not practical. It's biological and theological. I don't care if it's not practical. But that's the problem people think secular. Oh, come on, Bruce. You know, that's just not possible. Now. So, I'm also going to attempt to push back against the encroaching secularism into biblical, theological, and the religious content of our faith, which has moved us away from seeing God in all aspects of our life. Um, I'll give you an example of that. Cheryl gave testimony this morning that God has and is directly interacting with Brenna's medical condition. That's absolutely true. It's very easy in this world to basically just pray for wisdom for the doctors and let's get on with it. you know. Because medicine has been pulled into the secular world as if God has nothing to do with it. That's about the real world. You guys just float on clouds. That false dichotomy that we have to be careful of. And it really shows up when we talk about mental health. So I'm going to talk about some of those kind of issues. Because even some of our own talk, half so many of you are therapists, our own talk about who's got a mental illness and who's got this is starting to be very secular and very psychological, which were intentional atheistic systems to avoid the Judeo-Christian systems of thinking about human behavior that way. So I want to push back on that. That will make some of you professionally uncomfortable. That will be nice. So, the third thing I want to do in the series, look how quick I'm getting done. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set up the 20-minute thing So uh, instead of 45-minute sermons. Finally, I'm going to suggest some ways that we can reclaim a posture of God as upholding all things by the might of his power. I'm going to give you an example of that today. This is one that I've been addressing for uh, several months now. I wanted to have some experience with it before I talk to you about it. When you're my age, there are rituals that begin to get established in your life. Uh, They are morning pills and evening pills. There was evening pills, there was morning pills, one day, okay, that that it's not in the text, but that becomes the reality of your life. And uh, in the same way that that I, uh, every morning when I look in the mirror to shave, see the Grand Canyon right here. You guys don't see it; I see it. The place where, in my rebellion, that car accident smacked me in busted my face and the plastic surgeon put me back together and said, you'll never feel here again, but I do. You'll lose all your teeth, but I didn't. That love tap from God that brought me back. Every morning I see that when I shave in the same way that I believe that Jacob uh, had a little sense of his wrestling match, right? And what did Jews do? They have... Uh, appropriated that into what they eat and don't eat as a reminder of those things, which makes it sanctified, makes it holy in that context, not secular. Okay, So it dawned on me that I'm just taking pills for various things related to my health, and uh, it's like this is the doctor's domain. So I'll pray for the doctor. Where did that medical wisdom come from? What do we have that we did not receive from God? And the the pharmacological stuff that they give me, where did that come from? Just from nothing? It came from the creation of God. And so I now, in the morning and the evening, when I take my pills, say Abraka. I haven't worked it all out here, but I'm going to tell you how it works. I'm going to give you an example of it. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who heals us and sustains our health by providing medicine and knowledgeable physicians. It's not secular to me anymore. It's a reminder that I am fully dependent on God. The scripture says, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will guide you. If we aren't careful, secularism is going to narrow us down and narrow us down so that we only have a itsy-bitsy part of religion. And that's our salvation and maybe going to a service once in a while. And there are people in the government that would like that to be the case. They're redefining religion because they see religious people are the same as everybody else except in these very narrow corridors and they want to make that the religious institution. But you and I know better. Our homes are a religious institution. Our marriages are a religious institution. Our parenting is a religious institution. When we eat, what we eat is a religious institution. All these things are not secular. They are under the lordship and authority of our God and his Messiah. And we need to reclaim them in our own minds and hearts and in that of our children. And so I'm going to be challenging us to think that way and to begin to practice and to begin a conversation among ourselves as different people uh, address it in different areas so that we will begin to think that. Think that way and act that way. So we do not struggle against paganism as the early believers did, though we do struggle against superstition. I'll talk about that in another series. We struggle against secularists and in many ways we have become secularized in all aspects of our life, many of which, most of which should not be. So this challenge is going to become greater as technology and media continue to expand and become a ubiquitous part of our culture and of the shaping influence of our children. We have to give our children a biblical worldview, not a conservative Christian one. The biblical worldview found in the people of God. This is why I want you to have relationship with Jewish people. This is why we make use of Hebraic uh, Uh, categories, and even when we use the Greek, we tie them to the Hebraic categories. This is why I want you praying for the peace of Jerusalem. I want you knowing the whole narrative of that biblical worldview has to be in our community as well, so that it will be in the maze way, the mindset of our children and of our grandchildren. Uh, Because this world is heading for an appointment with A destiny that was created, planned, intended, and controlled by the Lord God. And it will meet exactly as he intends. And our job is to be obedient and cooperative to what he's asked us to do. Not to make it happen, but to be obedient and cooperative with what he's asked us to do in that context. Let's pray.